Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on Twip, it looks like Adobe's Creative Suite 5 is imminent, Aperture Revs and Lightroom gets less noisy, and an interview with Richard Harrington. All that and more on episode number 142 of This Week in Photography. And we are back for another episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, we have a, a very interesting show. Live in the studio here at the Twit Cottage in Petaluma is Mr. Derek Story. In person, in, in person. studio. Hey, I, I made the long haul all the way down from Santa Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes. Look at that. It's only a half a coffee. <laughs> well, it's funny. It, it, we, I was, uh, I was I, we ran into each other at PMA. PMA, and, and right. I was, and I was, And I was talking to Derek, and I was like, and I was like, where do you live again? He's like, yeah. Santa Rosa. I was like, why are you not on the show more often? I mean, exactly. you're, like, you're like 10 minutes exactly. away. Exactly. Yeah. So Derek is now our new regular. That's right. Um, also, as you heard, is Mr. Alex Lindsay. I showed up. Running the board. Yeah, you know. Looking very official with his headphones and the mic right there. For those yeah, you know, of you I, I was going to get rid of them. I was going to get rid of the headphones, but then I didn't think anyone would take me seriously. Oh, okay. You keep it. You can just wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a helmet because my mom likes me better than your mom. <laughs> You'll poke yourself with a fork. Yeah. And before we get started, I want to give a quick nod to our sponsor. And it is Squarespace.com. Alex, who's Squarespace? Who is Squarespace? Who is Squarespace? That's that's really the question that we all should ask ourselves here. I know who they are. They're Um, a fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. So you see how I get Fred to do it instead of me? (laughs) You know, I I, I manipulated Fred into into my my secret devising plan. Uh Um, So so anyway, we want to thank Squarespace, of course. And and Twiplog. If you haven't been to Twiplog... Here, hold on. But if you haven't been to... um, it, the Twip log, you can uh, you can go up there and uh, you'll see Squarespace in action because it's all built in Squarespace. So is pretty much any site that I do, uh, as far as like putting stuff up in the uh, the all the external sites that we do are all on uh, on Squarespace. And the reason is is because it's quick and easy and it's WYSIWYG, and I don't have to think about it. You know, and I don't I don't want to know. I want to I want to worry about the content. I want to want to worry about the basic look, the layout. I don't want to worry about the HTML code. I don't want to worry about the the SQL server. I don't want to worry about the Perl scripts that were required to make this all work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want it to just look nice. It's technology. It's right? technology. It should work for me. Yep. So, uh, so if you're if you're interested in just worrying about the content and uh, getting up, not worrying about the, who the host is or how it's being hosted or how many people are going to come and hit it and you know all that you know all that stuff. Uh, Squarespace is for you, and you can put up forums and blogs and and photo galleries, and there's form building, and there's you know you, all the permission access stuff that you want. There's a lot of stuff there, and it's all in a kind of an easy drag and drop Ajax uh, interface. In fact, I spent a big chunk of Saturday on it, working on the new Pixel. I was going to say, I thought you. Uh do you have people that you direct to work on your Squarespace, or you actually do it yourself? I do. I do a fair bit myself, actually. I mean, I, there are some stuff. So, and here's the, here's what's great about Squarespace is that if you have custom stuff, you can have CSS built. You can put other things into it. You can you can inject code into it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is I get things kind of close. So I go into Squarespace and I'm like, and I'll put stuff up and I go, I just want it to look like this and I'll change all this stuff and get it all the way I want. And then and I'm like, you know, it'd be really good if this happened that Squarespace might not be able to do. And mm-hmm. we have a guy that does that. 
we, we have someone else first that fixes it if I break it. So you do then, a, you make a sketch and then you have yeah, somebody but it's, come in. But and it used to be I do a sketch in. in in Photoshop and then people would say, well, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I can get pretty close now with Squarespace and and then and then um, and a lot of times with my you know uh, with my own site you know blo- uh, Border Sack or whatever it's that's completely me. Yeah, you know, I, and I work on it and I play with it and I play with the look and and so on and so forth. So um uh so it's really great. Anyway, if you want to get a good deal on it, uh you can go to squarespace.com/twip. That's uh, T W I P. And uh you can get you can you don't need a credit card. You can just start building your website, see if you like it. You can choose from one of their uh templates and uh and see what you think. If you decide to use it and use twip as the coupon code, you can get 10% off. So definitely check it out and again, thank you uh Squarespace for supporting this week in photography. All right, and let's move on. Let's jump into the news. A bunch of interesting things have come out. Um, we now know when CS5, allegedly, we have a date. We know that something from Adobe is going to happen on April 12th. So I think that's the... So they made an announcement to announce something on April 12th. And that's I think it's interesting that they picked know. the first day of NAB. Interesting. You know, so that's, I mean, that's the, that's the conference that's going on right yeah. now. Adobe's going to have a big, I guess you're going to, I guess you had to pick something, yeah. but it's interesting that they're picking, um, the launch of all this stuff. You can see how much video centric it's mm-hmm. going to be by launching it at a video show. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm saving. But, uh, I, one of the things that I saw online, I know that 1.5 million other people saw it as well, was a, a technology demonstration from one of the Photoshop product managers, Brian O'Neill Hughes, on this new thing called Content Aware Fill. Right. Now, with CS4, they launched Content Aware Scaling, that where you, so could, sick. you could drag an area of the image and it would not distort, you know, basically allowing you to stretch like a beach longer so you could have more room for copy, that kind of thing. Content Aware Fill. Apparently, according to this video, you can drag a lasso around an area of the image and delete it or fill it, and it will do the right thing and fill it with the right stuff. Derek, is is that your understanding of this? And that is my understanding of this. And, and How is this happening? This is this is like borderline magic. It is magic. Yeah. It is magic. With and, a K. And, and, you know, and the thing they always need for when they have a new release of CS is they need something that's real eye-catching, right? I mean, there's usually a lot of stuff under the hood that works, you know, that the geeks are excited about, but they need a couple eye-catching things, and I think this is a good one. I think this is a good, good one to really get your attention. Now, what, you know, when, when I saw Content-Aware scaling, I was, when, I, you know, when they did the CS4 release, so I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's cool, it's magical, lots of math behind that. But, and I have CS4, but I can't say that I ever use that feature. <laughs> I mean, it's great to know it's right. there that I could use it, right. but I can't say that I ever, you know, when I'm actually doing and, you know, working on a photo, I'm like, hey, I need content-aware scaling. Well, it's your little parachute you have packed away, right? Yeah, for, just in for, case. For that, uh, for that assignment. It's the oxygen that, comes that up, drops down. That's right, exactly. <laughs> because I'm the same way. My, my parachute's all nice and tidy, and yeah. uh, I, I haven't used it either, but... I don't do that kind of photography. I'm yeah. not preparing uh, things for for layout. I don't have to fit things on a brochure. You know, yeah. the, the, those those kind of situations where, you know, I, if we had someone that was doing that, they would they would probably sit here and just go, "This is this is just wonderful. This has right. saved me hours and hours and hours." Well, and I think one of the things that it does do is the uh, you can uh, if you're doing panoramas, mm-hmm. a lot of times you, you know because now nowadays with the new Photoshop panorama tools. You just got click, 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 yes. handheld, and yeah. then it just, I don't even know what it's doing in there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's I think it's another similar. Kind of magic. Yeah. But what it does is it leaves uh, a whole bunch of black around it because, you know, it had to frame in and there was like little jagged oh, areas. Great. And, yeah. I, and, and, and that will just 
just fill it in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All the way around. And then you could do that. I usually what you do is you crop it. Right. But this could theoretically fill all the So you're that talking about the area. fill now. The fill the the fill would, would Yeah, it would just look yeah. at those edges yeah. and just, just continue whatever's yeah, going on, right. make the sky go. And it may not be perfect, but it it could give you a lot more a little bit more sky oh, that, I like that makes that. it work and Yeah, that that is you good. Because yeah. you know, I shoot panos all the time. Me too. It'd be great to be able to Me just too. kind of fill stuff in. Now I do do the you know, I still try I don't use tripod all the time, but I do lock the elbows and do the little mm-hmm. where people are staring at me like, what is this tall guy doing here? <laughs> but I well, but I do kind of, you know, lock the thing in and try to keep everything because I don't want to lose information. Well, right. And and, yeah. the, and the, the the weird thing about it actually, and it's an old trick that we used to use when we were shooting panos back when it was hard mm-hmm. was that you had to uh what we would do, if you really wanted to be technical about mm. it, there was a, we would take a screw and we'd hang a uh, oh, yeah. we'd, we'd hang a weight below it and, mm-hmm. and, and find something on the ground that we'd hang that weight over. And then we'd ha- just ha- handle the camera like this and we'd turn it like this, kind of looking down yes. and making sure that the, that the camera stayed r- hanging like a plumb bob, yeah. mm-hmm. just hanging straight down over that point. And that would give you as little parallax as yes. possible yeah. handheld. And then the uh, the other way to do that, the other thing to think about, though, is, is it's tempting to turn on your hips. But that's actually creating an arc of yeah. two feet. And it won't matter if you're outside shooting a panorama. It will matter if you're inside. Because yeah. everything's so close, it'll you'll start losing more. So you have to kind of, there's this kind of weird thing where you have to grab onto the camera and turn it on itself. You know, you have to th- imagine where the... On its nodal point. Right? On its nodal point. Or right. as close to, the closer to the nodal point the better what's the nodal point the nodal point is it's, it's kind of the, where the image it's where the lines it, converge yeah. is it where the, the lines of light converge within the lens Derek? well yeah and, and isn't it also where the the plane of the sensor is it used to be where the plane of it's the not where the plane it's in, it's in the lens oh it's yeah. in the lens it's in the yeah, lens, it's, it's, in the and lens. it's marked with a little circle with a line through it oh, almost no, that's, well that's on the camera that's on see that's the, what i thought that's the that's the that's the, that's the, the sensor plane that's the yeah, sensor that's plane. the sensor plane or the film plane or whatever you're shooting with but a lot of times on lenses you'll see a little gold ring Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that we're going to ring uh, that that's, the you about. Point. Yeah. that's the nodal point. And, um, so and the so, nodal point is the point in the lens where the light lines converge. And, and where that, you've got no parallax. That, that, yeah, and you have no parallax. That theoretically, well, not theoretically, proven, that is the point where you should be rotating your camera to create a the best panorama possible. Yeah, and However, with Adobe technology, you don't even need to do it. Throw anymore. it out of the window because yeah. you could just stand there and take a bunch of pictures, and it'll do the right thing. And yeah. a lot of times, things are you, you'll you'll even on a tripod, and, and I just use a little. I, I recommended it on an earlier show. I used a nodal. I use a little nodal ninja, mm-hmm. um, and it's is uh, that the name of the product? Nodal it is, ninja. Called, it is the. It is awesome. <laughs> it's it's, it's they'll call it nodal ninja, and they've grown up a lot. I mean, they they started off as this little company that did kind of like. Um, you know, kind of little, uh, really inexpensive, you know, pieces, but they basically are putting everybody else out of business because they're less expensive. And what I have is I have an eight millimeter fisheye and then it actually hooks onto the lens. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to attach the camera, mm-hmm. because the, the lens is what you're really rotating around. So right. they figured out, you know, just put it on the lens. So you, it, it hooks to the bottom of the lens and the camera pops onto the back of that. And then it's this little thing. It's tiny. It's this tiny little thing that I've you can see this. You've been holding out. I I talked about it on one of the shows. <laughs> so um so anyway it's uh but that's what I shoot I shoot probably a couple I probably shoot ten or fifteen panoramas with that a week. That's cool. Well you know I was just thinking that while you were talking about the when you dropped the little plum down yeah I wonder if uh you guys know about string monopods right you know yeah so I wonder if you can oh use a, right right use you a hold string, it? that could yeah. be a second use for a string monopod too just yeah. shorten it up a little bit the only mm-hmm. challenge with that yeah. is that when it's when it's actually when you're hanging onto it when yeah. you, when your foot's on the bottom right. of it. Uh, the issue is is that you can still move forward and back. Whereas if you have a plumb bob hanging straight down, you you can't 
But I was forward. thinking that you would shorten up the string monopod so that it would just be down to the ground. So that then you would line it up with that that right. point on the ground that you were talking about or mm-hmm. something. Might work. It might work. Yeah. The other He's use of the, the other <laughs> use of the content aware might not, Phil, thinking. The other use of content aware <laughs> Phil is in the video area, I was thinking. When I first saw it was like, you know how Derek, you've seen those documentaries where they have they do the video fly through in the different elements. Oh, yeah. It might be a still, yeah, right? Yeah. And the different elements yeah. in the scene yeah. are three D popping out from the background yeah. so you can almost look behind them. Yeah. Now you can do that and fill in the background where you cut them out from and animate the subjects. In the, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, my head's blown up. So. Exciting times. <laughs> it's exciting times. <laughs> the other thing that came out from Adobe, Lightroom revved the beta. Yes. So they're on beta 2 now of the Lightroom release, right. and they added some noise reduction technology in there that, again, is magical math. <laughs> Well, we get, we got the other half of the noise reduction, right? Yeah. So uh, I forget which one did we have before we had chroma before we got luminance, or I, was it the other way around? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So we got both chroma and luminance. Yeah. They're nice. Yeah. They're nice. So describe it. Yeah. You've you've played with it a lot. I, I played I, with it a little bit. I played I with it a little bit. I played with it because you know I, I've been you know immersed in that other that which other. We're going to talk about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, this is this is one area where I think uh, Lightroom is very strong uh, is in the noise reduction. I know when I talked to Tom Horgerty back, he said we wanted to have the strong, the best noise reduction built-in app, you know. And and I think they're they're doing that. You have both. You can get rid of both the color artifacts now, you mm-hmm. know, with the with the chroma, and then the the luminous noise reduction also, the the, the chunky grain stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is it is strong. It is, it is very very strong within the app, which means right off the bat that could save you a plug-in that could save you having to round trip to uh no, know, that's what i was going to say third. what does that mean for noise ninja does that just obviate the necessity well the amateur users ninja? still have to use noise ninja so yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. yeah that's or, right or the photoshop uh you know um, but uh, so it's good for so aperture is coming on strong which means Noise Ninja will ha- hopefully have more users, but Adobe, yeah. they may lose the users on the Adobe Yeah, side. they're going to have to, right. Yeah, well, Noise Ninja came out with 64-bit uh, for Aperture, so yeah. they're one of the leading plugins now on that side. Yeah. So so do you think it, like on the on the Lightroom side, you no longer need Noise oh, Ninja? Is I'm it that strong? That, nah, I'm not going to go that far, because yeah. there are still things that you can do with uh, specialized tools. Yeah. Uh, but I will say... For an in-app noise reduction, you know, where you don't go to an outside tool, I think it's very strong. Yeah. And I think they're doing a great job with it. I very, like it a lot. Very cool. And that yeah. other app that we were talking about is Aperture 3, yes. which you spent the last, what, three been, weeks buried in I've been doing immersed. Linda training? I, I have I have <laughs> gone through every page of that 850-page manual and uh, nice. and tested everything, yes. Nice. So, yeah. so, you, so you're finished with... A Lightroom, extensive Lightroom three or sorry, Aperture three training. Yes, and yep. that's going to be on Lynda dot com. Yes, yeah, in editing right now. It's in editing. When yeah. is it? When is it going to be released? Uh, we're hoping the second or third week of April. Excellent, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So if, if I didn't so, stutter too much while I recorded, that speeds it up. That's why it's know? in editing. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, takes. you're so you're probably one of having spent that much time in depth doing mm-hmm. training because we know when you do training, you learn, you get really intimate with it. Really, with the subject. yes. Way so. In there. What's coming fresh off the app right now, fresh off doing that training, how do you feel about the app? I mean, compared to Aperture 2, performance-wise, with the adjustment brushes and the presets, is it all that that Apple claims it is, or is it... Yeah, it's not there yet. No, I think the short answer is that it's it's very close to what Apple is claiming in their their marketing. I don't think there's a whole lot of hype there. I think it it is an excellent app. It's 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 a leap forward 
from two. Mm-hmm. And I think the, 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 the brushes are, are a huge part of that. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think 64 bit is, uh, you know, is very nice, which, you know, now is, that's becoming kind of the standard and we'll see that CS5 too, right? Yeah. We, we yep. can say that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. standard. That's too late. You said it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> live. Remember Derek <laughs> live <laughs> in stereo. <laughs> Um, but it, it's it's a beautiful application working in uh, full screen mode. Yeah. Uh, uh, the presets, you know, they've beefed all that up. Mm-hmm. And it, I think the bottom line is you can just stay in there longer than you mm-hmm. could before. You know, always the thing about, and I think y- even you have experiences with Lightroom. You go, mm-hmm. how long can I stay in this app before I actually have to wander out to Photoshop or wander out to another yep. tool? Yep. Yeah. And uh, and I think with both Aperture three and upcoming Lightroom 3, uh, we're going to s- see that you can stay in that app a lot longer. Yeah, I, what, I know for me, being able to import video into both of the apps now. I mean, Lightroom's yes. now supporting yes. mm-hmm. uh, Apple. You know, what I accidentally imported, uh, like I just was, I was merging everything into my into my Aperture 3 mm-hmm. and really deciding this is it. Like I had to make a decision about which way I was going to go. So I was right. playing with Lightroom, playing with Aperture, not really committing to either one, trying to decide whether it's on my laptop or my, you know, like there was all this all stuff. Yeah. Finally dance. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start importing stuff into Aperture 3 and I, I grabbed the folder and suddenly all, I accidentally grabbed all these movies mm-hmm. and PDFs and, and, mm. and stuff into, and it, it, all of it was just kind of pulled up into Aperture and I was just like, and it was like, I thought I could hear angels. Wait a minute. Yeah. Did, like, it, did it see the PDFs? Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't know it was the PDFs. <laughs> and, 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 and the th- yeah, I was just like, wait a minute. I knew video I was and like, images, I was like, but I, PDF I, files? I, 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 stopped, I stopped having, uh, I stopped thinking about Aperture as my as my photo library manager to my life manager. Your digital yeah. asset you know, like, manager, my, 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 right? my, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I suddenly I viewed it. Know. Did you know that, Derek? Yes, and the, the thing that a lot of people miss with, with Aperture is that the filtering is phenomenally fast and easy to use once you know where to click. And you can filter by anything. Filter, uh, you know, like in this case, file type, right? Yeah. And you just click on your library, click on file type, and you just have all of your movies or all of your yeah. whatever. Wow. Uh, instantly, so you can start to navigate all this content really quickly. Even if you don't like to build albums and all that sort of stuff, you don't yeah. have to anymore. It, it's so smart. So, are Aperture three users going to need to use Lightroom to round trip into for their noise reduction? <laughs> <laughs> that is one convoluted puppy there. You know, we're well, just the, early. I got, I got to say that the round trip, and, and part of it is, I think this depends because a lot of people ask me whether. Uh, why do you use Aperture versus Lightroom versus? Because I think that mm-hmm. it, it it really is a style of photographer. You know, mm-hmm. photographer. Like for me, I grew up in Photoshop. You know, I've been mm-hmm. using it for fifteen, almost twenty years now. I'm getting old. Anyway, so um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you are. <laughs> like, Holy crap! I started using start saying twenty anything. You know. Anyway, so um, so the thing is, is that for me, I'm very comfortable in Photoshop. In fact, I'm more comfortable. I still feel like I'm more comfortable in CS2 than I am in CS4. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and CS5 is coming. But the round trip out of an Aperture is super great mm-hmm. to go to Photoshop. So for yeah. me, I'm very comfortable if I have Photoshop that I'm going to use that for heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. I think Lightroom is really – and I like having Aperture. I really have Aperture manage my library. I don't mm-hmm. want to – I just want a big clump of stuff that yeah. I can move around. Are you, done with the, are you done with iPhoto now completely? Yeah, I'm done. You did. So like, you're, uh, I was you faces broke up with and all. Yeah, I, 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 I told iPhoto, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not you, it's, it's me. me. <laughs> I need more. I need I'm more. I'm just grown beyond you. Know, you. I you found know. a girl, and yeah, she's your sister. 
You yeah. know, but she's, you know, she's your older more sister. Pro, you know? yeah. Your she's, older, she's more experienced sister. Yeah, your older, more experienced sister. She's got more features. <laughs> so, uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, here we go. There is a show going down the toilet. <laughs> That's so, going to be the title. Of the show. <laughs> Derek, anyway. Derek, should people be, uh, I mean, you, people shouldn't be throwing iPhoto away, right? I mean, it's still a viable application oh, for, no, for, for, in, for, for like it's the. It's free. Yeah, it's on every Mac, right? right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, I, don't, I don't think that, that Aperture, I think if you're getting started, but what's great now is that they're, they're unified. Yeah. You know, that, that you're going to have this iPhoto experience. You're going to go, you know what? I now am ready to do professional kind of work, and, I'll, and, and I'm just going to move up, up to mm-hmm. Aperture. And yeah. it's going to be the same experience except with more features. With more features. I, yeah. I, th- I think one of the things that they were trying to do with a- Aperture 3 was was make it more friendly to iPhoto users. And I think mm-hmm. they were successful in that. To the point now when people ask me, you know, which one, I will ask them, well, you know, what are you shooting? How often are you shooting? That kind of yeah. And I will say that I will recommend Aperture now more than ever before. Whereas before, you know, it was iPhoto was kind of the default answer mm-hmm. for for hardcore Apple folks, and yeah. then and then go from there. Aperture now, I, I think I'm changing that answer. So more. here here's here's the the one billion dollar question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year when folks asked you, Derek, since you're you're you have feet in both in all camps, right? And I you're, do. You're an educator. I do. So when folks say, "Hey, Derek, which is better?" And let's just mm-hmm. restrict this to the Mac platform. Okay. So which I don't have a photo management application right now. I've heard a lot of good things about this Lightroom thing. I've heard about iPhoto, which is on my machine. I heard about this Aperture thing. Mm-hmm. Which one should I get? Which one should they get if they ask you that question? Well, we, you know, we have an old, and I will answer your question. We mm-hmm. have an old-fashioned horse race here. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and if you limit it to the to the Mac platform, which was very uh, evil of you, because you know my answer before <laughs> was always well. If you're I on Windows you or gonna... Mix, then you know then go Lightroom, right? Which is why we yeah, removed that yeah, variable. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, before I would say my my answer before Aperture three would be if you really like to play with your photos a lot, I think the develop module in in Lightroom is one of the strongest things I've seen yeah. in, in photo management. But now with the brushes in Aperture three, I think aperture has really eaten into to that area so i feel like now it is a, a canon versus nikon a mac versus pc mm-hmm. uh, a lightroom versus aperture sort of situation i think now it's not about features anymore it's about which one feels better to you and i think since they both have 30-day downloads mm-hmm. i would honestly download them both and, 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 and play with them because i think it's just going to come down to something that you can't describe you're just more at home in one of them than the yeah other. and then the other piece of it is you know, and I'm I'm doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reserving all bets until I have two finished applications to look at yeah. side by side. However, on the April third, <laughs> this coming Saturday, yes. there's this new device that's going to hopefully show up at my house, Woo-hoo. which is going to add to my little ecosystem of it devices is going to in a big way. Yeah, and I want a way. You know, I know I can do it. I know how to get my my photos. I've been doing it for you know years. I know how to get my photos out of Lightroom into my phone, mm-hmm. um, so I could continue doing that. But wouldn't it be so much easier if I could just say that album is now my portable album and yeah. sync that into my device well you saw at the end of the the, the list on the aperture 3.0.2 update is all blah 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 bug fix bug, blah, blah. but then at the very bottom uh, compatibility with ipad oh was, i didn't see that was built in at the very bottom a lot of people miss that i missed that so uh they're right there 
They're right there. So mm-hmm. it, it well, will, that's what makes Apple so dangerous is that it's yeah. it is it owns the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm in it. I am in it. No, I, and, and the thing is, is that they if they screwed it up all the time, I, I probably wouldn't be in it. But it's always like it's just you go out into the outside world and you're just. Like, Oh, it's cold out it's here. It's cold out here, and the wind is really going fast. And I don't. I'm going to go back into my. I'm going to go get my snuggie on. Yeah, and then they go. And well, and then and they go. You know, and now we've added a new area to the city. You know, yeah, like, you, exactly. know yeah, right. you can move out there. And you you're know like, you didn't need it, but we added this new amusement park for yeah. you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it is kind of nice. And you're like, actually, have to go outside. I do need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, so I don't know. You're right, Derek. It's a horse race. It's, it, it's, uh, it's a great horse race. I mean, the, the bottom line is that, it, I mean, do you honestly think we'd see the, the video management this early in Lightroom 3? Right. Had it not been for, I mean, they are. Well, really, that was the killer app. They When Apple did it, they yeah. had to. Yeah, so yeah. they are keeping each other, you know, very honest mm-hmm. and motivated, and, and we're all benefiting. Yeah. Tremendously. Well, Adobe has all that wonderful technology in Premiere and After yes, Effects absolutely. and all this stuff. They can leverage all that stuff. Apple seems, at least on the slideshow piece of it, seems to be thinking a little bit ahead mm-hmm. in terms of being able to incorporate video into still slideshows and allowing you to export it out to a, a high-definition file that then you could put on YouTube and all that. Whereas, if I'm not mistaken, on the Lightroom side, you're just you're when you double-click on a video, it's going to open whatever your video player of choice is, yeah. at least in the beta. And one, and one thing that I'm hoping to see is yeah. uh, I'm hoping to see being able to create books, like e-books, e-photo books yeah. out of, I mean, I can already create books in Aperture. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. being able to create e-book, e-book, you know, because I don't want to figure out how to program it or do HTML or do whatever right. I need to do. I don't have to, I don't want to know any about that magic. I you just want to send go, it over to InDesign. Make this great, wanna, I can yeah. make a great book, great photo album or, or whatever and put all the stuff I want and maybe put some video in and do all the other things I want and then hit publish and it publishes an e-book form or it publishes whatever format is going to work great on an iPad that I can yeah. send somebody. E- you're going, talking about uh, EPUB. An right. EPUB, yeah. but but I mean like one that takes full advantage of the iPad. Right. So yeah. it's not like a flat one that would work anywhere. It's like it works on the iPad. I don't. Yeah. Well, well a like, PDF will work on the iPad though, right? Yeah. Apparently. But, I, but what? Allegedly. Know, but, 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 but what Get if it had video in it? Yeah. It had you know had, if it had video and it had stills yeah. and it had audio and it had all those other things that I could incorporate because I mean you can bring in Aperture now you can bring in audio tracks too yeah separate and you actually have a little audio editor it's simple but it's there is it like the it's like the one in the iphone where you can just trim the, the beginning of the video editor is like that but the audio yeah. editor also is a little you can trim and you, you have some volume control and so forth so anyway so much fun so right. much fun all yeah. right what's next uh sandisk is going to be shipping 32 gigabyte micro sdhc cards so all you, i got to say about the micro sd I, I almost bought a camera this weekend again I buy how cameras. many cameras do you own, Alex? I don't know. <laughs> I don't like... know. Every camera has a use. Every time I talk to you, I almost bought a camera. Well, I almost bought this. Or I lost a camera. I almost bought a camera this morning. <laughs> I almost bought a Fuji 3D camera, but I couldn't find anyone who actually had it. So anyway, so the uh so anyway, the um I was looking at the Casio, their new all weather one, mm-hmm. and it's really cool and it's yeah. portable and, and I need something like the LX three is awesome, but I can't I need something I can put in a pocket. You know, like a small camera that I can put into a pocket that's mm-hmm. waterproof. And yeah. so uh, it doesn't have everything I want, but it's, it's close enough. And so um, I realized that I'm never going to find one camera that does it all. So I'm just going to buy the cameras that I need. And so the uh, anyway, uh, it had micro SD cards. Like that's what it uses. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy it. I was just like, number one is I'm terrified I'm going to lose it. Have you seen the size of these things? Yeah, they're, they're, like, are, they're like your, your index finger thumbnail. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. biggest thing. Number two is I've got... It's bad enough that I have CF cards and SD cards. Yeah. 
I do not add need to add another format when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need another format that I have to manage. I, I, I my uh, not to not to get down on this format, but. A little bit, maybe. Uh, <laughs> not I'm not going to trash it, but right. I hate okay, it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but, well, my experience has been uh, with uh, some of the Olympus cameras where when they started to migrate away from the XD picture card, they uh, al- they allowed you to use the uh, the micro SD card. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I actually literally was losing them. And then, of course, then you know, a lot of times these folks will have you – then you have an adapter that comes with it. And then you need to use the adapter in order to put it into, like, your card reader or something like that. So yep. you got, then you got another little thing to yeah. keep track of. So you got a little and, gadget bag with and, all your and, stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it, it was difficult. It, it, yeah. it, it's – it's so what, what's what's Nirvana for you? What, do you just want all SD cards, all CF cards? I, I like SD cards myself. I, mm-hmm. I I I like the size and I like the portability. Now some of my cameras I have to use you know CF only. Yeah, um, which is a problem when you get into something that we're going to talk about a little bit later, like with i5, because mm-hmm. they're not doing uh, to my knowledge anyway. They're not doing uh, anything in the CF format. Right. So right. I I think the SD. Is is going to be the the winner in the end? I don't think the other cards are going to go away, but uh, they sure. It seems hot. No, I don't. I'm not. We got to get Jeff Cable on here from uh, from. He's from one of the memory maker companies, yeah. and he's local. Um, we got to get him get on him the on. show. I, I'm working on him. I'm going to get him on. Uh, but um, the, I think that one of the things that that sticks in my mind that between the two cards, the CF based cards and the SD cards is speed. And maybe it's just, you know, my brain just automatically thinks those yeah. little SD cards are destined to go in my point and shoot, therefore they're smaller yeah. and not as fast as a CF card. Is that just wrong thinking? Um, we need to get him here for that because, <laughs> <laughs> because that that's a good that's a good question. I think the CF does lead uh the pack if you do if you look at the top of each, mm-hmm. especially on what's breaking, I think they do lead the the pack on that speed. My question will come back to you uh which is how much speed do you need to do what you're doing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and how, how measurable is that uh, when you're uploading from a card reader or when you're saving, uh, you know, the raw files in burst mode or, you know, those sort of things that you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, you, uh, you know, a lot of times we get caught. Remember when we used to get caught up in the speed thing on computers, right. and, and that was the thing that everyone got fixated on, mm-hmm. and then finally just go, okay, it, we're fast enough. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we're fast enough. Yep. So um, my question question would be are sd cards fast enough or capable of being fast enough and yeah i don't know the answer to that. i i'd I actually i'd like to be on that show when that happens all right you will yeah. be consider it done all right so that's a good segue into uh the next story and that's ifi our friends over at ifi yes. ziv galat and the team down there have introduced a connect x2 and explore x2 yeah. and the big thing about these cards are they both feature i don't know what this endless memory mode means but they both feature raw compatibility whereas before the cards could only transmit jpegs up to the cloud now they can i guess well, it looks like files, these it right? looks like these are consumer cards that basically did what our pro cards were doing before i, I, I when i looked at the the cross section it just looks like yeah. it's trickled down mm-hmm. it's fine i mean i i, I bought one of the, did pro, the pro cards, cards support raw yeah yep yeah, yeah. Oh. that was one of the big yeah. things about the pro because i have yeah. one of those i just never use it to shoot i never i see that's again my no. my ifi card lives in my point and shoot Right. Well, and, and one yeah. of the one of the frustrations, and maybe I just couldn't figure it out, yeah. is that what I really wanted was when I shoot raw, um, if I can set my my camera up to dual shoot, you know, both raw and JPEG, raw or plus JPEG, JPEG, you know, mm-hmm. raw plus, 
what I really wanted was it to upload the JPEGs and leave the RAWs, and I couldn't figure out a way to get get it to do it, that. It like, will just, do that. Okay, so then I just didn't do it right. It, it will I was do, like, I don't want you to upload the RAWs. Because I, because I think, uh, exactly, no, no, you just want to send the JPEGs wherever, wherever it's going, Facebook, Flickr, your computer, if you're on ad hoc, however you want to do it. It'll do that, and, and obviously you can choose by uh, you know by using the protect button, mm-hmm. and then right. you know. But you have to set it up ahead of time in iFi Manager, and then put your card in and you say, okay, this is how I want it configured. What I was thinking uh, with the iPad is that okay, what if you have a client or someone there, mm-hmm. and uh, you shoot RAW plus JPEG, and then you can have the JPEGs go over to the iPad when someone's holding it and can look on this nice screen of this beautiful, beautiful resolution. And yeah. so there's a couple of questions there, you know, how far away before we have a, an iFi app on there and, you know, will the iPad support an ad hoc network? And, you know, there, there's a couple, mm-hmm. but it, it seems very within reach. Yeah. Sounds like another show. We need to get Ziv Galat from iFi on the show uh-huh. to answer those questions. Yes. As if he would about unreleased products. Yeah, right? exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, he'll do it for us. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll put him on the spot. <laughs> right, <under> right. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick uh, uh, moment to uh, jump into our guest segment, which is with a Rich guy. Harrington guy that was on the show a couple what was it it's like about a we month or so month. ago yeah yeah. yeah richard harrington rich was uh most recently at photoshop world so he gives a, a quick rundown of what happened there as well as some insight into his new book alex which you'll be interested in it's all about using your digital slr as a video camera I'm here with a good friend of mine, uh, Richard Harrington, a.k.a. Red Pixel. That's R-H-E-D Pixel, which is also the name of his company. Uh, Richard has agreed to come on the show uh, and let me interview him to talk about some of the projects that he's involved in right now. And also, I wanted to pick his brain on some some trends in the industry. Of course, video and some just some, some more higher-level things in terms of some of the challenges that photographers are facing today. Uh, with regard to how fast things are changing. So, Richard Harrington, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, I love your show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. Well, first off, you know, um, you, you and I were just talking off air a little bit about how best to introduce you. And you said probably the best way for folks to refer to you in a general sense is digital storyteller. Do tell what that means. Sure. Well, I mean, I've been using digital mediums since, I don't want to say it's inception. I'm not ancient, but um, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to be defined. You know, when I was in college, I, I drove my professors nuts because, um, you know, I was a journalism major and I worked on the school paper, magazine, did broadcasting, radio, um, you know, was starting publishing content for the internet all the way back in at this point, like 2005, I ran a, uh, sorry, 1995, I should say, ran a website with, you know, audio and video and photos and content for, for music in the Midwest. And it's just sort of always been what I do. You know, I, I always enjoy embracing new technology to, to publish and get information out there. So I shoot pictures, I create video, uh, I publish to the web a lot, and of course, traditional publishing. And I just, I like to capture information and get it out there to educate and inform people. So that's both what I do for, you know, the technology space, but also for clients and for a lot of the different folks we work with. We really help them tell a, a, a true story that engages their audience and shares a little bit about what they do to really interact with people. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Red Pixel, your company. But before we do that, I know you, you've got like a library full of books out that you've published. What's, 
How do you manage to write all these books and train people and run a company and do production work and all this stuff at the same time? Well, we have really good people that I work with. And, um, you know, one of the things is, is uh, like many folks, I'm not a great sleeper. So I probably <laughs> sleep five to six hours a night. Um, and uh, I, I hate to sound lame, but time management is a good friend of mine. So yeah. I, I, I keep it all together. Um, but I, I write about what I do, and so it's easier. And because of that, um, I'm able to write on a variety of topics. So, you know, some folks know me from doing some of the, the Apple training series stuff on, on iLife and iWork. And, you know, those are tools I love, and I use them in my personal life and at home. And, and then on the, on the pro end, I've, you know, I use Aperture and Photoshop and After Effects and Final Cut. And I just usually, when I decide to sit down and write a book, I take a slightly different approach than other folks. I say, once I know half of it, I'm ready to write the book. And so for me, books are usually a discovery process. So when we said, okay, we've been producing video podcasts for uh, you know about a year and a half, let's sit down and document the process and completely explore it. And we did the book, Producing Video Podcasts. And along the way, we refined our approach and everything else. It was the same thing when we sat down to do the new book, From Still to Motion. Here was a, a relatively new subject matter using digital SLR cameras to capture video. And we just said, all right, you know, let's outline how we're going to explore this. And while we're doing it, we're going to document and capture it. And I think that's a little bit where my, my documentary background comes in and my journalist background. I don't feel the need to completely explore something and then tell people what I learned um, after the fact, because then the information's old. Mm -hmm. I feel like once I've got a solid base, then I'm ready to jump in and explore and I try to engage people during the writing process. So we keep a lot of that writing process public, sharing it on my blog and on Facebook. And so people who sort of regularly follow what I'm up to when I'm not under a non-disclosure agreement are able to sort of <laughs> learn the things along with me. And then the book is, is sort of a, um, a memento of that ex exploration process. And many of the books continue through podcasts or, or blog posts. So um, – I guess it's sort of that continuous learning approach. And uh, I just happen to be fortunate enough that I was blessed with the ability to write at a moderate level that people seem to like and follow. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, it's a, it's a continuous learning sort of world that we're in, especially in terms of media creators and media capturers, you know, whatever, whatever we're going to call ourselves. But it, Let's talk a little bit about the challenges that are facing photographers that may have spent years and years honing their craft in terms of photography and the physics and technique and magic, you know, behind photography. And now they're faced with all these demands of motion and audio and, you know, the 3D and all this stuff. How, how are photographers today supposed to stay ahead of the game and stay relevant? Well, I think if you look at the evolution of Photoshop, it's kind of a an interesting um, analogy for the entire industry. You know, Photoshop started before there was digital photography. And so, you know, originally we were using this app. We had to hook up these hardware devices. We had all these third-party things that came out. And, you know, originally there was very few books, and it was a really small little program that – you know, several of us sort of discovered, you know, I jumped in in Photoshop 2 when I was in college and was doing uh, newspaper. And, and and then over time, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, well, we could do more here and started using it for broadcast graphics. And, you know, and then Photoshop started doing things for the web. And then digital photography sort of came along and, you know, where we were bypassing the scan
scanning step and going right into the computer. And, you know, and now Photoshop opens video files and 3D files and, oh, you could do, you know, HDR type stuff and you could do panoramics. And I think what's happened is that um, there's been sort of this twofold problem happening. One is, is that people are getting overwhelmed by the sheer options that their software presents. And when a software program is 20 years old, it's got to get pretty broad in order to encompass um, a reason to upgrade. You know, it, it starts offering all these different things. And, and I think what happens is, is people get overwhelmed. And then the other thing they happen is, is that I think they forget that just because the software program can do something doesn't mean that they have to professionally embrace that. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and so I think people make the mistake just because the program can do it doesn't mean it's got to be a part of your workflow. And, and that even gets amplified by the fact that now these programs are coming in suites and you have them on your computer. I meet a lot of folks who mistake the number of software programs they can run as sort of a measurement for their professional viability. Mm. And I've, I love software programs. I love using them for the features that I enjoy, but I accepted long ago that there's things I'm good at and there's things I'm not. And I'm only going to do what I'm good at and that I enjoy. There's but things I'm good at that I hate, so I avoid them. How do, how do photographers, like professional photographers, deal with the increasing number of requests that they step into areas that, that are outside of their comfort zone? Like video, for example, or audio production, or capturing audio while you're in the field so that, say, the New York Times can use it in a multimedia piece that's going to be deployed to the iPad, that kind of thing. How do they, how do they stay relevant? Is it just you got to read all the time and be experimental, or, or what do they do? Well, I, th I think one of the things that um, that photography embraces more so than the video industry is that a lot of photographers think that it's a lone craft, that it's something you do by yourself, that you're out there capturing the world. And maybe you have an assistant, but only if you're a bigwig. And, and I think that a lot of folks need to realize that now that you're being asked to maybe compose a shot and record video and maybe put it into something that's coherent and looks good. Plus it needs great audio. And now you actually have to spend a little bit more time on lighting because you can't do all the things you normally do with the lens and the controls because video doesn't support them. I think people need to just open up and embrace the idea that, you know what? I need to charge more because I'm being asked to do more, but I also need to embrace working in a team approach so maybe I've got uh, a really good assistant who understands video or maybe I partner with somebody who's going to go on shoots with me and I'll go on their shoots. You know, I think it, it's this idea that you have to realize that you can't do it all, but that you still bring something unique to the field. You know, for example, I am a far better director than I am a camera person. I've got, you know, much more experience directing, uh, you know, working with experienced directors of photography, telling them what I want, composing a shot, but also working on the performance and getting the interviews out of folks or, you know, directing people to get the action I want for a TV commercial. Well, that's my skill. And I can handle that people side of it that maybe the photographer doesn't. You know, maybe as a photojournalist, you're used to watching the world and now you've got to interact with the world in a different way. Well, that's partnership. And I think that that's okay. You know, at the same time, you know, we're all going to have our strengths. And, you know, I think I, I was talking to some very experienced photographers recently at Photoshop World and just addressing the concept that. We, you know, we were shooting a music video as part of a pre-con activity and getting them used to this idea that 
it's normal to have two or three cameras rolling at once. And obviously they can't be standing behind each camera, but they could be directing the style of shooting, the camera settings, the lighting, the composition, and the action. And that that artistic vision will translate to the other bodies. And that's the Hollywood model. You know, when you see a Hollywood film, there's the director of photography and then there's multiple camera operators mm-hmm. who follow his or her lead. And I think that's a huge difference to a lot of photographers who are really used to this idea that, you know, you capture the action. And then after the fact, you go through and you throw it away and you, you narrow it down to just what you want. Well, if you do that with video, you're going to end up with only one angle of coverage. And when's the last time you watched TV and only saw one camera angle? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So Richard, you were you were just recently down in Florida, or you're currently down in Florida for the uh, the Photoshop World Conference Expo thingamajigger down there. How yeah. how did that go, and how what and what were the big re- revelations out of the show? Well, the, there was a couple things that that came out. Um, the the first one was they released the Lightroom three public beta two. If I've got all those numbers, right. I think I do. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they showed some more things with camera tethering and, uh, a couple they, other things. They being I'm, Adobe, right? They being Adobe. Yes. Yeah. They, they, you, and, and, and all that information is up on their blog and, uh, they actually did it at the tweet up, which was a opportunity for people through social media to get together. And it was interesting. Um, Adobe seems to be using social media a little bit more, as a way to get things out there. Hmm. Um, and then they also uh, announced that on April 12th, they were going to announce the details. So <laughs> they made an announcement about an announcement, which we all kind of looked at each other and said, uh-huh. But yeah. I, I think Apple the does the same thing though, right? Apple, Apple says, well, on this date, we're ha- we, we have something revolutionary to share with you. So, and then they, yes. then they announced on that day. So same kind of thing, right? Yeah, I I mean, Adobe gave a little more detail saying, you know, hey, sign up. We're going to have a a web event on this day where we're going to go into great depth about all the new features. And then they also snuck a couple of new things out on Adobe Labs, too. So they didn't say for certain that the stuff on Adobe Labs that has over a million views is going to be in the next version of Photoshop. But they alluded to it. And, you know, um, it, it looks to be an exciting time. There was other cool things on the show floor. Um, I just looked at some different tech that was out there, uh, saw some, some stuff coming out. I saw a new action manager plugin that I got to relook the name up on, but you know, lets you manage your Photoshop actions a bit better. Mm-hmm. Came across the brand new Boda bag, which I hadn't seen before, which was nice. I had one of their original ones. It's a great lens bag and, uh, just actually used it today. It was a weatherproof bag, which really came in handy because I got caught in one of those Florida rainstorms and it, uh, worked just fine. So Excellent. it's always nice when the, when the new gear holds up. That's excellent. So that that video that you mentioned that has over a over one million views that was put out by uh, by Brian O'Neill Hughes, who's on the the Photoshop team, and uh, it's in Adobe Labs right now. And you want to you want to explain what that video is about? I know it's about content aware fill, but what what does that mean, and how does that how does that why is that relevant to the photographer? Well, I'm I'm gonna have to be a little careful here because <laughs> there's. <laughs> And I'm going to have to say the best thing to do is to watch the video. But when I watch it, the thing that really stands out to me is that it's nice to be able to, you know, a lot of times, for example, one of the workflows that I often do is I take photos and cut them apart and then move them around in 3D space and After Effects as a documentary film technique. Or, you know, there's been times, like even on the last book cover, where we had a picture and we wanted to defocus 
and uh, scale something down a little bit to de-emphasize it in the frame. So having the flexibility that when I start to recomposite within a photog- uh, individual photo, I don't have to completely go crazy with the cloning and stamping. It looks like the program now is going to be able to sort of help you out with some of that as you start to extract or add things into an image. So that looks real cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it looks like a lot of, lot of interesting things coming out. It's, uh, it's a good time for people who like to, to uh, punish pixels. So yes, <laughs> which I happen to be in that group. Um, so uh, you know, I don't. I'm not going to talk about any of the releases that are le- alleged to be coming out from a certain company that starts with A. But I want. I did want to talk about your book a little bit. And I know you have a brand new book that is either out or or due to be out really soon. You want to? Yeah. Wanna, what is that? What is it about? And why did you write it? Sure. It's called From Still to Motion, a photographer's guide to creating video with your digital SLR camera. And I co-authored the book with uh, three colleagues who together we've worked often on several different video projects, plus we're all photographers. And it's a comprehensive guide to actually the whole process of making video. Um, it's not just which camera settings do I choose. Cause you know, I meet a lot of photographers and they're all, you know, what camera settings or what do I need? And, and they sort of bypass the fact that video is a different way of telling stories. And so we start all the way at the beginning and we take a single project and bring you along on that project. So it's literally like a, a six month internship. So it's a way that a working professional can become for lack of better terms, a, a intern or a shadow, on a real-world project. And so we do a, a music video and a documentary, which really encompasses all styles of shooting. We're doing indoor, outdoor, multi-camera, single-camera, portrait interviews, available light, stylized light, all sorts of things. And um, we take them through the whole process, from meeting with the client and deciding what is it we're going to do, storyboarding, looking at the locations. Then we give them a crash course on the unique features of video and and what to plan for. We go into four very detailed chapters on lighting, walk them through the audio acquisition, which is a very new thing for most folks. And then we go through a complete post-production process on how to put it all together, adjust the picture after the fact, edit it, and publish it to the web. Plus, we threw in two great bonus chapters on stop motion and time lapse, which are two more ways of making video using uh, digital SLR cameras. So it's very exciting. I, I, we worked on it for really close to a year. And, uh, you know, as we were doing this project, we just, we had a, a documentary photographer following us around and a documentary video crew. So it's really both a book and a DVD. You get a complete experience with six and a half hours of training video, tons of behind the scenes. And we reveal all of our bumps and warts. We actually let you see the raw unprocessed footage, give you the exact camera settings, talk to you about how we put all of it together, which has really been fun. Wow, that's interesting. So you're you're shipping this book with a DVD that has the the project files for people to rip into and follow along in the book? Yeah, we, we do a couple things. We give them the full music video. Not We had to trim the handles a bit, but they actually see the layered timeline as both a Final Cut and a Premiere Pro timeline. So they can go in and look at it before there was any color correction. And then we give you a sort of a director's commentary version where you hear the director, the photographers, and the colorist, who's sort of like the person Photoshop equivalent for video, explaining what they did and why they made the decisions they did. And then we actually give you... Uh, at this point, 26 shots straight from the camera 
no color correction. You see exactly what we recorded. So when you're looking at that setup going, wow, you know, it's kind of a, a bright day. I wonder how it looked, you know, before it was all fixed and polished. You know, we give you the actual shot with all the settings. And, you know, so it's really quite cool. And then there's also additional, you know, like I said, six and a half hours of video that just explains specific features. Like here's how you use a follow focus or here's how to edit with iMovie or Premiere Pro or this is how we bring a, f- a clip into Photoshop and use it to process the video clip. So we really tried to sort of take it from this point of view that we didn't hide anything. Um, And and that was important going in. When I talked to the other three co-authors, we decided going into this project that since we were going to be the first book out on the subject, that we weren't going to, you know, we had no fears about, you know, unveiling our secrets. We were just going to show you everything we knew how to do and everything we learned while working on this. Because, you know, we jumped in when the only camera on the market that was doing really anything was the 5D. And then, you know, we added our 300S and we added a 7D and, you know, firmwares came out, things changed. The You know, the book is not hardware specific. Instead, it focuses on really the craft, the, the planning, the lighting, the composition actually moving the camera you know one of the biggest things i see photographers do is they're so used to holding the camera steady is that they're afraid to actually move the camera body through the scene they think oh well the world will move and and i'll be here documenting it but it's much more interesting when the camera's on a dolly and it's sliding or it's moving up and down or it's on a fluid tripod head and so we really try to get people comfortable to to look at it in a different way and the end result is, you know, we've had some really good feedback, um, but we really want it to be something that they could attain. And to sort of keep us honest along the way, we had two great tech editors, Gary Adcock, who uh, works with the uh, American uh, Society of Cinematographers a bit, and then Jeff Ravel, who is, is a PhotoWalk Pro, uh, that great website and blog, and he's a, he's a photographer himself and also an author. And he looked through the whole thing as we were writing it, and any time he felt like, as a photographer, could you explain this a different way or go a little bit deeper for me? He was sort of there keeping us honest. So, you know, the book is written entirely for the photography audience. Now, people who are into video have enjoyed it, but we go out of our way to make sure that the the language and the comparisons and, you know, the budgets that you're going to be working with are practical to a photographer. Now, that, that's a good point because uh, I know a lot of photographers, still photographers, um, are, um, I don't know, what's what's a polite way to say it? Um, hate-filled when it comes to video <laughs> in terms of not wanting to embrace the new technology and, you know, the, you know, purists about the still image versus motion and audio and all that. Is this a good book for them to kind of throw their, their toe into their, put their toe into the water to, to experience video or is it, is this a little bit more advanced? No, well, I mean, the, the book is labeled beginner to advanced and what I've had to say to a few folks, they're like, how's that possible? I said, look, we go out of our way to make things seem understandable, but doesn't mean that you're going to be ready to employ all the techniques. You might read about something and start to think about it. And then, you know, three months later or six months later, you're going to try something out that you read. You know, some of it you're going to put into use right away. Some of it you're going to file away for once you get more comfortable. It's sort of like, um, you know, you could be a beginner student of dance and you can go watch a, a really great performance and you can go, you know what? 
I'm going to take some of what I saw and try to work that into my routine. And then a couple of months later, you might watch the same performance again and, and work more at it. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing where it's not like, oh, I never heard of this. Oh, I just heard of it. Now I can do it. Some of the stuff is going to take practice because you got to train your body to, to learn how to move. You've got to, you know, really work with the gear and get comfortable with it. And you're going to sort of have to build up to it. But I mean, what we said is, is in this top of the book is, you know, whether you hate video or you are excited by video, this is a book for you because we don't hide the imperfections. We go out of our way to point out where it's a pain in the butt and how we worked around it and which situations it was fantastic for and which situations it was a nightmare for. So, you know, we purposely show you the pros and the cons so you can make a good decision. Our job is to not sell you on video. Our job is to make sure that if you decide to shoot video, you do it in a great, you know, great way and get fantastic results. So, you know, we're not salesmen. We don't sell these cameras. So, you know, I know a lot of people who have picked up the book just because they want to be able to have good ammunition so they could tell their photo buyer or their client, hey, look, this is not as simple as just flipping into movie mode and hitting a button. You want results like this? I need this extra equipment and we could rent it, but you know, you, you want this type of stuff. You can't do that holding the camera. You need to put the camera on a slider. You want this. That's great. But if we're going to record that number of people talking, I need an audio engineer. Right. I know it because I read it. And so we're trying to give them the information they need so that they don't commit career suicide, you know, making a, a, a bad professional mistake that hurts their reputation. Yeah. So I, I, I think we go into it and we love this. But we love it because it's got great benefits, but we're not blind to say that this is the perfect solution or the medium. You know, there's a lot of shortfalls with video, and, and we just want to be honest with folks so they can really feel comfortable as they move in. What we tell most folks is, is you know, don't simply read the book and go out and take a professional job. Read the book, take a few jobs that are passion projects that you're doing for fun or that you're doing to learn, and, and get a couple of things under your belt, and then you know, take that job for the client. Yeah. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit. And I, I know, I, I believe I know that you on your, your still photography side, the still photography side of your brain, uh, you use aperture as your digital asset management application of choice. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Just did, uh, actually recorded two training titles, uh, video titles for Kelby training for, for those folks. And I love the update. It was, uh, it was surprising how many people I was at Photoshop world, how many people wanted to talk aperture. So, uh, it, they def Apple definitely made some impressions with the latest release. Yeah. So yeah, I saw one of your latest tweets, you were talking about the, the 3.0.2 release and how it was, uh, it was a good re update to the app. So just overall, Aperture 3 versus Aperture 2, um, being having used both in, in workflow situations, why is 3 better, in your opinion? Well, there's a lot of things to, to 3 that stand out. Um, you know, I, I'm going to sort of go from, from start to finish of, you know, like ingest to output and what sort of stands out for me. And this is just a high level. I mean, you know, Apple has a whole list of a hundred new features and, you know, love it or hate it. Some of those are fantastic. Some of them are minor things, but you know, what's really jumping out for me is it's things like, I love how easy it is. Now when I import, I could target two locations. So in my case, I target, you know, one drive, I'm going to a Drobo and I'm going to a second backup drive and that works fantastic you know so now i've got redundancy from the get-go on import it's not like i have to remember 
okay, I just imported everything. Now let's clone that data to a new location or let's start a second import. Um, that little nuance change has been very nice and is you know just helping me do better backup and remember to be a little bit better with the media management. Yeah. Um, it, the media management in general is much more solid. I find it really easy to start splitting projects into separate libraries or consolidating things. It's really simple to sort of take a project and split it off. And uh, it just got easier. The whole media management process is more intuitive. You've got a much larger user interface for when you're sort of you know bringing stuff in or needing to reconnect. And I just find it much simpler to use a non- managed library uh so you know you can go ahead and keep your files on the hard drives how you want and it's much easier to do that originally when aperture came out it was all about keeping things in a single library file yeah. and that got kind of cumbersome and you know didn't expand well and now they've really perfected that put your assets where you want and we'll manage them um you can bring in video now and audio and so that's great just from a, a management point but it also makes some killer slideshows uh there's a great tutorial and sort of case study on their site with bill frakes of uh sports illustrated and straw hat visuals showing how he uses video in his slideshows and combining stills and video and it's fantastic and i i think that's a nice way for a lot of folks interested in video to really look at it and see how the two things can be used together very attractive storytelling yeah um I let's see here. Other what about, what about the the presets? I know they 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 added presets like Lightroom has had for a while. What are do you find yourself using the the new presets? Or are you 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 haven't gotten around to that yet? No, a little bit. I mean, it's what's nice is is let's say you you are running and gunning, and, and you for some reason maybe you had your white balance set wrong, you know, and you know it was set wrong. You see it. Well, you know, yes, you can import everything, and then you could take a preset and lift it and stamp it to everything else. But now you could say, oh, well, let's set the white balance. And now on every other image coming in, let's fix that. Or, you know, you can do things like dramatic different looks right upon import. Or, of course, even after input, import, if you come up with a look you want, you can apply it. And I think they did it really well. They, they make presets that are intelligent. You could say, okay, completely replace everything I did to this data with this preset or take this preset and merge it with the existing things I've already done. So maybe you just have a, a very stylized preset that's adding a vignette and a, a little bit of a push to the color and you know maybe making it look a little bit antique. Well, great, you could do that, but still have it respect any cropping or any sort of exposure adjustments you made, and it'll just apply that on top of it. So it's a very intelligent preset. It could either be a global preset and replace all the values, or it can sort of build upon the existing work you've done. And then, of course, obviously, the other thing that jumps right out is, you know, I mean, I know we had these in iPhoto, so they kind of get overlooked. But, you know, faces and places, the ability to organize your library. I just use this on a huge documentary project where we had other images coming in. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic to be able to tag things, keep it organized. I geotag most of my photos already. And so now to have the ability to say, OK, here's an area that I go to a lot show me pictures and just draw a circle on the map in this area from this time range. And then all those pictures come up, That's you nice. know, or if you publish pictures to Facebook, um, even for those of us that are, you know, just using some of our photography for, for more social or friendly purposes, people can actually tag those photos and the tags go both directions. So if somebody updates a tag on Facebook, it actually 
updates in your library. So it's pretty cool, like, you know, to keep pictures organized. You know, if you have a subject you shoot a lot, like your kids or your family or particular models and you just want to keep them organized, it's really got some great implications. You know, what I jokingly say now is that we can now sort by who, where, and when. You know, the only yeah. thing missing is why did we take that picture? <laughs> so. Yeah, and that that would be the subjective piece. Now, what about, I yes. know there were some issues with, with Aperture 3 when it first launched. They had some memory leak issues. Did Do you know if 3.0.2 fixed that? Is it is it safe to jump in now and start using it for production work? Well, I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, I'm not an engineer, and I definitely know, like, when I got, to, I, I'm an early adopter. I never hold off because... You know, I usually say, oh, well, you know, it's if it's good enough to get out, you know, it might be a little buggy, but it's going to be OK. So 3.0 crashed occasionally with certain things. And when I put 3.01 in, uh, it got a lot better. You know, I really had very few crashes. The 302 thing seems to be just sort of the last little things fixed up. And uh, some of the stuff it really addressed on were things like when you import a, like a whole bunch of nested folders, well, all of that nesting organization could get translated into the project. So, you know, that's great. Um, you know, the list of things it fixed was pretty small, but in beating on it, I don't see any issues. It's really worked out well for me. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take a quick look at the actual list here to see if there's anything that I noticed that wasn't working. But in general, yeah, it's it's really been doing better with preset management. Um, it, it, it tweaked curves a little bit. Yeah. And then it's just much better with um, handling deleting and exporting things and i know um, they so had it, i know they uh, they had some some issues with uh, at least in the the previous version aperture 2 with just performance and it was just you know click and wait kind of feel for a lot of images of course your mileage would vary depending on the system that you were using and the resolution of your images and all that but overall the feedback that i heard was aperture 2 was was a little bit sluggish do you having used both of these apps do you feel a speed increase in aperture 3 um, you know, I think I think some of that might be the placebo effect, but I think it seems faster to me. Um, you know, it is it is optimized to work. I'm I'm going to say I'm reasonably certain it's a 64 bit app now. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so you know, if you're running it, that's right. So if you're running it under 64 bit, and you've got a good graphics card and enough RAM, it definitely takes advantage of those better than the previous program. So it's capable of being a faster application. If you run it on a slow machine and you don't have that machine, you know, sort of tweaked out with enough RAM, I think a lot of people understack the RAM. My understanding is that under 64-bit, most applications can address two to three gigabytes of RAM per processor now. So you can completely have a lot more RAM. So if you've got a quad-core machine, you know, you should be having 12 gigs of RAM in there in order to get good performance. You got an eight core machine, you can have a lot more. And so you want to get more processors in there or more RAM in there. It really makes a huge difference. The other thing that I think people are getting better at, and Aperture 3 makes this easier, is keeping the libraries reasonable. Um, it is so easy to switch libraries now with Aperture. Instead of having to hold down a, a, a key combination, which you still can do, holding down the option key when you boot, you've got a menu that makes it really easy to switch libraries. And when you choose it, it'll have recently used recently used libraries available, but it'll actually scan your system and find all the libraries and put them right there. So it is so easy to switch libraries now, where in the past, that used to be a thing that only really advanced users did. So I'm actually in the process of splitting a lot of my libraries 
into smaller libraries, and that makes a huge difference. Plus, you know, get them off of the USB drive and get them on something a little bit faster. You know, if you can use FireWire 800 or or Gigabit Ethernet, you know, or cut down the number of USB 1 and 2 devices plugged into the same hub. I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, they start mixing USB devices on the same hub and they start getting performance issues too. Yeah. Now, what about uh, we're we're on the heels of the the this magical new device coming out uh, this weekend. The iPad is supposed to be released in, uh, into users' hands finally with Aperture three. And I'm not, I'm not I, I didn't I don't recall seeing any info on how you could sync your uh, say an Aperture album into the iPad. Do you still have to like bounce it through iPhoto to get it in there, like on your iPhone, or do you you have any insight into that? No. Well, I, I don't have any official insight, but you under the current thing, you don't actually have to go through iPhoto. So when you're in, even right now with your iPhone or with your iPad Touch, when you go into the Sync Photos page in iTunes, mm-hmm. the default is if you have photos in both iPhoto and Aperture, iPhoto is what's shown. But if you just click it, it's actually a drop-down menu, and you just pick Aperture, and you can actually sync from both already without going through iPhoto. Oh, okay. So it's in there. You just have to choose Aperture. And I'm going to assume that since it's built on the iPhone OS, that it's going to be very similar, that in order to transfer material from your computer to it, you could do it that way. And of course, I, I think you're a mobile me user. You know, you get mm-hmm. that the, the you get the ability to put photo albums and galleries online. Those are going to work well as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah, that's that's good to know that you could just build an album in Aperture and then point it or point your uh, point iTunes to it as the source for a library that's going to show up in your iPhone or your iPad. Uh, but yeah, but is there does it optimize for the for the iPad screen, or is it just gonna? Is that left up to you? Is there, in other words, if I build an album that I want to go into my iPad, is it up to me to go in there and and crop it and scale it to the correct aspect ratio and resolution for that particular device, or will the will my, you know, thousands of dollars worth of hardware and software do it for me? Well, I, <laughs> I think I, I think I think cropping is one of those highly subjective things yeah. that people want to have control over. So I know that already in both iPhoto and Aperture, when you choose crop, there is a preset for iPad or sorry for iPhone and iPod Touch. I'm going to only assume that once the device is released, that there will be a similar preset for those. And I believe that it's actually a standard four by three aspect ratio already. So they might just do an update, but you could choose to crop already. And remember with, uh, with Aperture, you can make a a new version. So if you just take those photos and and add new versions, you can crop those versions however you want specifically for the device and put it on there. And then obviously the, the screen will do the same sort of thing of automatically scaling it down to fit. And you could, I'm just assuming here from the demos I've seen, you have the ability to sort of zoom in on your pictures just like you do on the iphone mm-hmm. so i think i think that the way pictures are going to be handled from a cropping and a getting it on their point of view is going to be very similar and then obviously they've also finally announced some more of the details about using the card reader and being able to attach your camera to it to transfer pictures into it it doesn't appear to really truly support tethering but it looks like you're going to be able to sort of do a data dump from your camera or from a memory card into the iPad directly as well. Interesting. Well, Richard, it has been a pleasure picking your brain and talking to you about all this media stuff. So thank you for taking the time to, uh, to, to chat in the middle of your, your, your travels down there in Florida. 
Great. No, I appreciate you having me. And uh, people can check out details over at PeachBit's site on the new book. There's a, a sample chapter up there on uh, the basics of lighting. And, and we have a Facebook group, too, at uh, facebook.com slash DSLR video, which is a great place to, to get up news and information on this emerging medium, as well as just look at other people's work and participate in some group critiques. Wonderful. And where, where can people go to find you or follow you personally uh, on Twitter and otherwise? Sure. Uh, my Twitter is just redpixel, R-H-E-D-P-I-X-E-L.com. Um, so redpixel.com or Twitter, just redpixel. And my blog is just Richard Harrington blog. There's actually an abundance of Richard Harrington's. There's a guy in British politics. There's a Canadian photographer. There's a rock journalist. So I couldn't get richardharrington.com. That actually just has a guy with a picture of him and his dog. I think there should be a rule against people who have really good domain names who only use it to put a picture of themselves up there with their dog. So, so richardharringtonblog.com was the closest I can get. Gotcha. All right, Richard. Thanks a lot for uh, for taking the time to chat with us. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Richard Harrington. You can find him on Twitter at RedPixel, or as he said, and his uh, or find him on his blog at RichardHarringtonBlog.com. All right, guys. Let's jump into the listener questions. And the first one up is from, let's see. This is, uh, I can't pronounce that last name. So it's from Robert. Derek, do you want to take this one? Oh, yeah. So sh- should I read a little bit of it here? Yeah, go for so, it. So we know? Yeah. So my family is going to Poland for five weeks this summer. And being avid photographers, my wife and I want to take our gear with us. Yes. And he has got all sorts of goodies here, a carbon fiber tripod and a ball head. And, you know, of course, photographers always have to list all their stuff. That's what we do, right? Yeah. But um, – you know what they get down to at the at the bottom of this thing is that you know they have the other stuff that they need to take on board the flight because they have you know family and all that, and uh, so he's he's investigating shipping his stuff before his gear his camera gear beforehand mm-hmm. uh, via UPS and he says it's it's going to cost like a thousand dollars he was shocked, and mm-hmm. uh, but putting the gear in a checked bag is not something I want to do which is. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Do not do that. Do not do that. So what recommendations do we have for that situation? Yeah. Uh, I want to hear this one. <laughs> well, he, here's here's the bottom line. Do not spend $1,000 on shipping because that's a lens. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, you know, take the lens and not the shipping. Yeah. Uh, and plus, you know, even though it's UPS, which we all know is very dependable and all that sort of stuff, when you're going to another country shipping your gear, uh, that just seems to me you're introducing another possible problem mm-hmm. in your in your trip. So you have to figure out a way to carry your gear on the plane. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that is really the bottom line. And there's a couple things you have to think about here is that on uh, what we call international flights, right, when you're going out of, in, in our case, out of the U.S. to somewhere else, sometimes uh, the shipping requirement, the carry-on requirements are more stringent. So mm-hmm. first thing you got to do is see how much space and what you can actually bring on. And then in all honesty, I think the stuff that is less valuable than your camera gear needs to go in your bag that's checked, and you need to figure out a way to get your gear on, on there once you know the requirements of mm-hmm. what that plane can be. You have some thoughts on this, Alex. I, I do. You look like you're about to pop. No, no. I <laughs> So I do this a lot. I mean, I move a lot of gear, and, and you will reach a point where you can't take the gear you know with you you know you can't like we 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 shot in Seychelles, Mm -hmm. and um you know we had a red camera and Mm -hmm. big lenses and lenses that are you know ten or fifteen thousand dollars a pop not you know not little thousand dollar two thousand dollar lenses 
And, uh, you know, and we had about $80,000, $90,000 worth of gear that needed to get to the Seychelles. Uh, we shipped the red, paid $900 on the way down, and yeah. was like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. I mean, like, like when we went through the whole rigmarole. And so we checked it. You know, we checked all that. I mean, we checked big lenses and filters yeah. and, you know, all that other stuff. And the reality is we did look at where we were going through. We are going through Dubai, where, as far as I'm concerned, I bet you if you get caught for stealing, they'll cut your hands off. Mm-hmm. So we figured, you know, we could probably connect through there without losing anything. <laughs> so, so, so we, uh, you know, you know <laughs> I love, I love the Lindsay logic. Man. I, was like, I was like, you know, you know the yeah. lens is worth down their hand. to the bone. Yeah, right you know, <laughs> literally down to the bone. I would say. And yeah. So the, uh, <laughs> so we decided because we could have connected through like Nairobi, and yeah. I, I think it's a little more lax there. So. Yeah. When and especially when going into Africa, I tend to miniaturize everything so that I yeah. can get it all on. Yeah. Like I'm going to figure out some way to carry it on. Um, and there are ways of packing everything. Literally, nothing that isn't fragile, you know, goes into. Um, but we just lost the camera. No, we didn't lose a camera. We just had it broken because the guys wanted to carry it on. So they packed it as tightly as they could with one of the other devices, mm-hmm. and it, you know, something Ooh. got. So now that, that was a six hundred dollar lesson. That, that crunchy noise, you know, you know. So yeah, the, uh, noise. you know, rattling noise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the thing is, is you want to do that, but you also don't want to go crazy because we we check our cameras actually pretty commonly now. Mm-hmm. The one thing you do have to do is make sure that you have insurance that you can live with, yeah. and, and I think you just have to. As soon as you start getting to a point where you have where you really are doing a lot of this stuff, and you, and if you're taking big lenses, you. Uh, are either slightly crazy or you're taking or or you are professional or you're moving towards that mm-hmm. and start insuring all your lenses you know insure the the stuff that's you know business insurance for that type of thing remember that you can also get if you're going out of the country you can also get um traveler's insurance that covers you know that that you can either we 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 what we did is we had to pay a thousand dollars for a rider that sat on top of everything else. Yes. Now that's not going to just cover your travel. That's also going to cover your entire trip, and exactly. all of that is a good idea. The number one recommendation I have is you get insurance for all of your gear, get all the serial numbers, get all the you know bits of it, you know take pictures of it, make sure that you have like a little database of everything that you so you, you can justify it later if something disappears but um good insurance when you're traveling is key to the operation because it takes so much stress off of the situation yeah well i totally agree with the insurance thing. i think it, it is a good idea but i think if you're not traveling for a job i mean you know right. you're, you're carrying stuff for a job mm-hmm. then i think uh i still think my personal opinion a little bit wiser to go with a little bit more discipline only bring the gear you need a lot of photographers overpack on their gear anyway yeah. when they're yeah. going to vacation or, or whatever mm-hmm. I bring everything. you know yeah. you know and figure out uh, what you need and try to get it on board and then i do think that uh, having insurance for the whole trip is is a pretty darn good idea one other thing that we kind of ran into with, with this with our with our because we buy um Almost every camera we have has a Pelican case. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Pelican cases are just... And there's a, there's a company called CaseCruiser.com uh, that customizes Pelican cases for cameras. So we have like the EX1 Pelican case. that it's, mm-hmm. They already pre-cut everything and it's all just it's the way it should. Anyway, so we use these all the time. And uh, one of the things is they all have little... A lot of the, the, the pro cases will have little lock things. Now, you can't... TSA won't let you put a real lock on it. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll just cut it to right. get into it. So they give you these little TSA locks. Yes. Well, I got into a pinch where I couldn't get the TSA lock to work. Um, you know, I couldn't get it to open because mm-hmm. it got banged up or whatever. And I did realize that it was really, I just grabbed it and just pulled it and twisted it and it just popped right off. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, okay, okay. So that was the last time buying a lock. You right. know, and Placebo. so it yeah. turns out that the, what, what really works is um, you can get, if you go to a hardware store, you can get thick ties, cable ties, mm-hmm. plastic cable ties. Yeah. And you can string them through and run it through and just pull it tight. Okay. Now the thing is, 
is that that is actually harder to cut or harder to break than a um, TSA lock. Um, it's much less convenient, you know, to open it up, and it's much more. You see it like there's no right. way to there's no way to put it back on. You know, you right know, away. Even so, in when, there. With, right. if the bag shows up, you know. Yeah. So now we just cable tie um, or or zip tie Good. both um, both holes. And that's going to be usually it's just a little bit of a deterrent, but it's as much of a deterrent as I like that as idea. The I, I think idea. that's a great idea. Yeah. And you know, yeah. you know, someone went into it, and if you don't have the little sign, yeah, from TSA, go, and those are missing, yeah. you know that someone went into it that yeah. wasn't supposed. That's to. That's a great yeah. tip. That should have been your pick of the week. Too late. <laughs> well, you know, you will notice that in our notes it said question one, Alex. Yeah, it, <laughs> it did. I had, I had, maybe I had prepared for that question. But you know, I get to, I get to host. So I threw it to the guest. That's okay. All I did was set you up. So, so I, I just got a big fat softball rolling. On. Go. I got to keep you on right. your toes. You can have number three. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next question up is from Eric. So he says. Uh, my question is related to Lightroom presets. I have a handful of presets that I love to use, but the problem I find is that they don't always work with an entire set, meaning set of photos. Sometimes the images get blown out or are way too dark so that you can't even see the effects of them, the presets. Would love your input as to why this happens. Well, it's easy um, because your images are taken, I'm presuming, over a range of exposures, <clears throat> and the presets apply a predefined set of of exposure adjustments to that image and it's not looking at the data in the image itself to make the decisions on where those sliders should go it's just saying if you apply this preset this preset says take this much saturation out add this much exposure add this much clarity boom and it'll do the exact same thing to every single image so therefore if you have images that are different which you would have in a set of images, then there, you're going to see varying effects across those images. It's not going to be the same. Now, conversely, the presets in Aperture, I believe, Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, the presets in Aperture uh, make decisions based on the exposure of the image itself. So if I apply a preset that, say, turns it to sepia, and I apply that to an image that is one-stop overexposed, and then I apply the same preset to an image that's one stop underexposed, it's going to apply a different degree of that preset to each one of those images, not just the blanket setting. Correct? I have had better luck with those with those presets. Uh, I'm not sure exactly of the logarithm that's happening with them, but it, it, it feels like that. I will mm -hmm. say that it feels like that. Mm -hmm. I'm only saying that because I, I sat through and I watched those videos on, <laughs> yes, yes. on the Apple site, yeah, and apparently yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's yes. the deal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would uh, try that out. But that's what's happening on the Lightroom side. If you have a series of images that are exposed similarly and you apply a preset to them, you're going to get a similar effect across all those images. However, if they're varying in exposure and, and you know, uh, content, you're going to get varying effects on those. So that's my answer. Question number three, you want to take that one or should we throw that one to Derek? Alex? Um, I, I'm fine. Uh, we can throw that to Derek. All yours. Go ahead, Derek. Okay, so uh, I want to know what. The, okay, I love this. Actually, I like this question a lot. So I'm glad it came over here to start with. And then, and then Alex, in his vast camera uh, collection, will can probably pull out a few goodies there for us. <laughs> but uh, the the question uh, 
uh, from Sydney is that uh, I know that the best camera is the one that you always have with you. Yes, we've, we've, we've managed to drive that phrase into the ground now. Please share your recommendation on a similar but non-Leica to Rich For My Blood street photography camera. I'm looking for digital, fast, discreet, raw capturing, and with a viewfinder, which I think uh, you know, there, eliminates most. Of there's them. a little rub there. I mean, there and we're doing great up until the to the <laughs> viewfinder thing there, <laughs> uh, because you know, uh, quite honestly, a lot of the what I consider uh, fun street cameras right now don't have a separate optical viewfinder. Some of them do have electronic viewfinders, which which are pretty good. So I'll, I'll talk about which will also be my. Uh, my pick of the week also, mm-hmm. actually, uh, which is the new camera from Olympus, the EPL-1, which I actually have one here. Mm-hmm. I've been carrying around with me. Now, it doesn't have an optical viewfinder, but it does have a port where you can put an electronic viewfinder, mm-hmm. and it's quite good. But this is a wonderful street camera because it is compact. It shoots raw. Uh, I've been shooting up to 30, ISO 3200 with it. Uh, 1600 has been has been very strong, and it just it, it feels it feels good. It feels and, strong and light. It, it feels strong and light. Yeah. And a lot of times, I have to tell you uh, the way that I work with this camera, especially when I have this uh, 17 millimeter fixed lens on here, which this is a micro four thirds camera, which means you know you multiply by two on the focal length. Mm-hmm. So this is a 34 millimeter f 2.8. Is that I actually don't I turn off the the LCD and I just hold it and I just do a lot of shooting that way down at my side oh, or yeah. or however. And you actually as you begin to merge with the camera, uh, I, the results are quite good. So uh, and this will cost you a lot less than a Leica. The whole kit. Right now is uh, five ninety nine, and that includes a zoom lens. Get out of here! Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Five ninety nine. What kind of lens is that on there? Uh, this one's a seventeen millimeter, but <coughs> the uh, the kit lens is a uh, is a is a fourteen to forty two. So we do our math, and we have a twenty eight to eighty four mm-hmm. zoom lens. So, uh, but so that kit is a uh, five ninety nine, and it, it's a terrific camera. Wow! So that's my pick. Now I will tell you another camera that I do like to shoot with is a Canon S ninety. Uh, and yeah, it's a really I, nice I camera. I like that camera a is lot. Is that like this little point and shoot? Yeah, well, you have one with you? I do have one. He's got more camera. He, oh, he, he, he oh, gave me a hard time about the camera. Oh, wait, wait. The camera's out in the car. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I, I keep it in the glove box a lot when I'm driving because oh, okay. I, I do these unthinkable things like shoot uh, out the window and stuff. There you go. But uh, it's, it, it, it is, uh, looks like a little uh, point and shoot, but it, it shoots raw and uh, it's a 10 megapixel, and I think it's a remarkable camera for its size. Really? What's the, what's the cost of that thing? Uh, they've come down now. You can get them for now. Uh, those are about 399 or 379 When I, you know, I always buy things right away to write about and all that, and it was like 499 at the time, but I've seen for 399 now. That just blows me away because yeah. every time I hear the Amazing price of these camera. cameras, yeah. I, you know, I think back to the military when we, we were shooting with these Kodak DCS 420s right. with the hard drive on the bottom yeah. and they cost twelve thousand five hundred dollars each for sub one megapixel yeah <laughs> now, they were now you got art. one in your stay glove in compartment art. you're like where did i yeah. do with that 10 megapixel yeah. camera yeah. Yeah. yeah oh this thing's i'll tell you if, if you like <clears throat> the other thing i like to do is is hike and backpack mm-hmm. and sometimes on backpacking you become fanatical about weight because you're just tired of, especially when you, you're not 20 anymore you're tired of dying on those you know those altitude uh, mountains you're climbing yeah that s90 is 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 a joy for backpacking that's so, really cool yeah and video does it shoot uh it does but you know that that is a week i'm glad you brought that up because uh the olympus here shoots high def 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, they only put standard definition on the uh, on the S ninety. One thing I want to do, and maybe we should we should all have a party somewhere where we can get a a test chart uh, for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things I want to do is compare a lot of these lenses. I think the, the group of us, the three of us probably have mm-hmm. a lot of different cameras. I think mm-hmm. possibly and, and that's a, true. Yes. Put a bunch of them up against charts. Yeah. Uh, because one of the things for, that I've noticed, for instance, is that I have an Alex 3 that shoots 1280 by mm-hmm. 720. But to be honest, I really think it's six, 640 by 360. <laughs> I mean, when I think of it, yeah. I don't think of giving someone it at 1280 yeah. by 720. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a solid, high-quality image at 640 by 360, half res. Mm-hmm. Not such a great image at 1280 mm-hmm. by 7. So mm-hmm. the, it's a good marketing thing, and they've scaled it up, and they've done whatever they're doing to it. But it's pretty soft at full resolution. So I used to think that, oh, it has to be 720p, and now I kind of go, well, I, I need to see what it's actually outputting to make that make I, it work. I think that's a that's a, a really legitimate thing. And I think if uh, – I'd love to have a couple of the, the Panasonic, the GF, uh, in that mix too yeah. because that – now that video to me looked pretty good, uh, but – Again, and, the, and those look great. And yeah. I have to say that the the five D footage that I that I've shot, yeah. you know, is stunningly sharp. You know, so right. it's not. It, I mean, I'm definitely getting quality. There's an issue there with the five D, which is mostly that when it's sub it's sub sampling sub sampling the sensor. So on hard mm-hmm. lines, you'll see aliasing mm-hmm. because it's stepping. Well, because it's grabbing every couple, you know, sensors. That's the only way it can do it. If, now I'll tell you, if they if they interpolated that down yeah. to HD from, from their full frame. Oh, my God. Oh my, that would be, that would be such a gorgeous image. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a whole other Well, yeah. and, and we have to see why we're at the 5D. Everyone has downloaded the, the new firmware, right? So that, you know. Have, Everyone have, have, shoots Canon. He doesn't have a Canon. Have we talked about that to make sure? Yeah, because that firmware is terrific. Okay, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Let's, yeah. Because that's recent, like in the last couple of weeks, right? And it's. Well, yeah. there's there's there was a version that came out that oops, oops. <laughs> and, oh, did uh, they do a oops? Yeah, yeah they, did a oops. they they tried to put the cat back in the bag. And well, then the <laughs> no, no, they, they put out two hundred three, <laughs> and two hundred three uh, added twenty four p, but it also broke the sound completely oh. if you had it set to C one, C two, C three, and and um, now I don't use that much when I'm doing videos. So it, right. I think don't, don't think it affected that many people, but you do need to update to two hundred four if you yes. get two hundred three. Yeah. yeah. Better. Yeah, and and uh, the thing that I like about it is uh, I love getting rid of that that audio problem that we were having before that audio. Because, well, that it was automatic. It was always auto auto. Uh, it was always and I was having to use the the magic lantern thing, which was okay, but you know it wasn't elegant. So now now we have a little more control over our audio. Well, what, are you, what are you shooting, dear? Because I'm hearing you're you're in Lightroom, you're in Aperture, you do an yeah. Aperture training title. When do you have time to shoot video and edit? Well, and what well, are you shooting? You know, you know, I have all these different hats and. And one of the hats that I that I wear is I'm the photography evangelist for Low Pro, and oh. so we're shooting stills and and we're shooting video interviews and all this sort. Of, and so I'm just putting a lav mic onto the person, you know, with a long cable powered lav, yeah. running through the 5D, shooting uh, and oh. and shooting uh, these video interviews, and then shooting them up to uh, YouTube or whatever. Oh, yeah. And this is where the the DSLRs having having this capacity has made my life so much easier. Because yeah. what were you doing before that? Uh, stupid camcorders or, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. and then, you know, and, and not having as much control over, over the, the audio and having, being able to put like my 50 F, you know, 1.4 lens on the 5D and yeah. shoot video and it's going, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah this is, I'm this a is, photographer yeah. again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, guys, good. let's, let's jump into the picks of the week. Derek, 
I know what yours is yes. sitting on the table right here. Yes, yes. Uh, any any parting thoughts on that thing before we move on to? Um, I think that uh, that this latest version, this is their third Micro Four Thirds camera. They had the EP One, the EP Two, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, in all honesty, my my parting word on this is I like this one better, even though it's cheaper than the previous two. So I think wow. th- I think this is of th- of the three. This is the 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 one that I like the best. Just as a camera, forget about it. That's two or three hundred dollars cheaper. All right, out of out of five digital story stars, how many would you give that device? Oh, this is four star camera. Four star. Four star camera. All yeah, right. absolutely. You heard it. Yeah, you heard I it here love first. It. All right, Alex, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week. Um, I am picking. Okay, so Panavision. Panavision rents cameras and lenses, and they make, make cool lenses. And now they've moved into iPhone applications. And so um, they have this great application called Panav- It's called Scout. And it is uh, – so you see this little see little, uh, little Panavision? We, little, can, we can see it, but uh, yeah. no the one listening audience it. cannot see that. Yeah, you know. So, so, so what happens is, is what, what this does is this is like you can set it to, like, what is my crop? So I, I can do this here. Now, what, I'm, what I can see is when I take the, it, it shows me my, my location. It shows me what the sunrise and sunset you know, times are, or oh, moonrise like settings. Mm-hmm. It shows me my – it has my GPS, all my GPS stored, um, the direction that I'm pointing. I'm pointed you know, 44 degrees northeast right now. Um, and I can take a picture with the crop and everything else. Now, what this is useful for is, is I, if I am um, – if if I am uh, scouting a location for a shoot, yeah. I can sit there and go boom, 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 and take all these photos, and it's keeping all that information in you know all that oh, information there terrific. exactly where I was, which direction I was pointed, you know which you know. So the thing is, is that it's it's nine ninety nine, so it's actually a very expensive mm-hmm. iPhone app. But if if you are scouting locations for film or for stills, and I and I got this, I you know I, I uh, Stu Mashowitz was actually tweeted it, and uh, if you're, if you're not following Stu. Um, I think it's five tu is the you're crazy mm-hmm. on yeah. Twitter. Yeah. So um, you know, Stu, so Stu, Stu put it up there and he's like, oh, and then I checked it out and then of course I Very cool. had the habit. So if you're doing, I do a lot of this where I'm, I'm at locations and I and I have to, you know, I'm going somewhere and we're going to do a big shoot there mm-hmm. and I need to gather all the information I want of the, about that information. I can do that and you can really get the framing of this is what it would look like. You know, from this angle, with that kind of uh, with a two three five aspect ratio, or or one eight five, or four three, or whatever I want to be shooting in. Uh, anyway, it's great, it, and it's just a great little tool. And I think we're going to see much more of this as the iPad yeah, comes out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these tools for us as photographers or as as uh, film people uh, is going to be pretty darn exciting. Yeah, awesome. Anyway, yeah. that's it. And Fred. What's my pick? Do you have a pick for I us? I do have a pick. And we already talked about my pick a little bit, but I wanted to push it a little harder because, um, well, my pick is the Lightroom 3 Beta 2. Um, these numbers. Lightroom 3 Beta 2, which is a free download from uh, just go to Adobe.com or just Google Lightroom Beta and you'll find it. But specifically because you can, you can preview and play with some of this amazing noise reduction technology for free right now. Right. <laughs> so uh, if you haven't played with it yet, play with it. Go, you know, download this thing, bring in one of your images. And I think it, what tab is it in, in there, Derek? It's in the details tab on the develop module. Yeah. Yeah, Go in there and just move those sliders and just, it it brings new life to some photos that you thought were not good enough because they were too noisy or they're shut shut in low light conditions. Um, but you get a chance to play with this. So it's free. Go download that and, uh, and have at it. I love that, that Adobe does all this beta stuff and Mm -hmm. they're, they're much more, uh, I think that's part of the influence of macromedia. You know, they were yeah. much more free, mm-hmm. you know, like, let's get everybody involved and everything yeah. else. I think that was that Some of that should leak over into Apple. 
<laughs> they're close. They're like three miles away from each other. Come on. You know. Yeah. No, oh, not going to happen. <laughs> not going to Not going to all right, guys, that's, uh, we're about at the end of the show. Derek, where can people go to find out more about you or keep up with your exploits? Well, just about everything happens uh, through thedigitalstory.com and uh, Derek underscore story on Twitter. Awesome. And Mr. Lindsay, where are you at? I am uh, at the Twitter. Alex Lindsay. Oh, it's now at the Twitter, not on the Twitters. Changing no, they, they got rid of the other ones. There's only, <laughs> there's only one Twitter now. All right. It's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right, and if you are you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on twiplog.com, or, and we have a, a nice Facebook page up now. It's facebook.com forward slash This Week in Photography. We're moving into the century. We're, we are getting hip. You know, sometime, at some point, we'll get a Twitter account for the show. <laughs> um, but if you have any questions or anything you'd like to say to any of the hosts, uh, please post it to our Facebook fan page and we are all on there we're all answering stuff and chiming in so please be sure to participate in the conversation and if you're looking for me in particular you can find me at frederickvan.com or on twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan and with that it is time to take that lens cap off (laughs) 